G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as always, and great to be with you for today's topic, which is a little bit more of a practical topic. I'm looking forward to having a bit more of a practical topic after the last couple of weeks, Dad, where we've, we've done a bit of a deep dive into to philosophy and some real deep themes, but uh, we've got a good one today, and we've called today's episode, Is It Time to Cut Out Complaining? So, Dad, do you want to just give us a bit of a brief overview at first? What are we going to be talking about today? Okay, well, the notion of complaining, how we're looking at today is if people express a grievance in some way. They might feel frustrated or agitated about something, bothered, concerned. And then whether people bring that up with a friend, whether they express a grievance, not, not to the friend about something like a conflict with them, but express some kind of grievance or concern or, or complaint about the state of the world or something that's happened or something that's bothered them, a bit of a gripe. And I think the relevance of this is sometimes people think that anything that has like a negative emotion to it or whatever is something to be avoided. But actually, with health and well-being, it can be good to sometimes acknowledge painful feelings or uncomfortable feelings. And sometimes being able to express a bit of a grievance or a complaint or let off a bit of steam when talking to a friend, for example, that can actually be a helpful thing to do depending on how we go about it. And it's the sort of thing as well, I imagine, that there's potentially a bit of a balance to be had with this sort of thing. Like, I was having a bit of a think before today, Dad, and, you know, the, the most common word that we see paired with complaining is, for example, the word incessant, which means, you know, sort of continuous and annoying. Like, it has this negative connotation to do with the word complaining. And also, it was interesting, I, like I know the idea from this episode came up after you were interviewed for an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by Nicola Heath, and she was making what I think is a very good point, that there's so much going on around the world at the moment and over the last couple of years that there can be a little bit of a sense of, you know, every day today, you know, almost kind of trivial things that we would, for example, have complained five years ago about, well, now, in comparison to, for example, you know, the, like the war in Ukraine, and you know, we record this on a Wednesday, Dad, and there was some horrible news today out of America with a with another school shooting there. So, compared to these, you know, grand issues and huge things that people are dealing with, well, some of our problems, which you know, they might be legitimate problems in some ways, but compared to that, like that can seem so trivial, and there can be a real guilt associated with complaining about things in the context of those bigger issues so it'd be really good to find some I think the balance between that today dad because it seems to me that there is a bit of a balance to be found yes like is there room to have a bit of a whinge or a bit of a gripe or let off a bit of steam that way when as you say there's such stark challenging situations elsewhere and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is well yes there still is we can still have our reactions and our feelings to things. We don't have to be up about everything all the time. Part of the balance of life is accepting some of the darker, some of even the shadow side of life or the more challenging experiences that we might face. And sometimes to be able to talk with a friend or confide in someone or just let someone know how we feel about that, sometimes it can leave us feeling better and actually fine for the other person as well. It can be part of supportive relationships. And it seems to me that there's a, a real way to go about that, if that makes sense, in terms of, you know, if we're just 
simply complaining for the sake of complaining and you know maybe it's easier to just complain all the time about something that's annoying us well maybe that's not necessarily going to be the best thing for us overall what I wonder then about that dad is like if we unpack a little bit as to why that might be now like for example I wonder what happens in the brain when we're complaining well like you were suggesting earlier I think it's going to depend partly on how we go about it Because if we complain in a certain kind of way, very anxious, frustrated, angry, a bit stuck, if we're going over something again and again and again, dare I say, in more of a mechanical way, then probably we're in fight or flight mode. So again, we'll be releasing cortisol, the stress hormone. We might be also tight in our body, representing that fight or flight kind of activity of the limbic system in the brain. But if we go about it a certain kind of way where it's a kind of conversation where we're connecting with the other person, I imagine sometimes that can leave us feeling a little bit soothed afterwards when in fact we might experience, especially if we can add a bit of a laugh at the end of it or whatever, we might even experience a degree of serotonin. And maybe the connection that we feel with the other person, if we feel held or supported or cared for in expressing a complaint or a concern or a grievance or a difficulty, if we feel that someone's responded to us with compassion, then maybe we experience a degree of oxytocin, a neurotransmitter to do with feeling connected with other people in a certain kind of way. So I think a lot of that is going to depend on how we go about it. But we'd often associate complaints with stress or more negative emotions when often we would associate it with more that fight-or-flight kind of reaction of the limbic system. Well, yeah, certainly, because as you described that there, like it seems to me that that in many ways relates to a maybe a particular type of complaining that, that we'll get into today. But like it struck me that I saw that there was some research, I believe, from Stanford that half an hour of complaining per day actually shrinks the size of our hippocampus. So like that seems to highlight that Although there is a way to maybe process things in a certain way that can be positive, the very act in itself of complaining does lead to some, say, negative release of chemicals like cortisol in the brain. Yes, and again, if people are going to be caught up in a more rigid way, stuck with a certain kind of point of view, feeling stressed about it and kind of like offloading or dumping while they're complaining, then I imagine that would have that stress impact. And we know that the ongoing release of cortisol does have a negative impact on the brain, including shrinking the hippocampus, for example. But we're actually slightly broadening this topic to look at how sometimes even in acknowledging painful emotions that we might describe as a kind of complaining or expressing a gripe or or looking for some kind of sympathy from someone about a difficult situation that we've gone through if we look at that as a particular type of complaining even though it might seem somewhat trivial compared to the broader challenging things happening around the world that can have a positive purpose and so part of it is reflecting on how can we express ourselves in that situation and also listen to each other with a positive purpose rather than getting stuck in negativity well how could we go about not getting stuck in that negativity then like I wonder what are some of maybe the good aspects of complaining like we've touched on a couple of them but what else could be almost like a benefit that we could see about complaining 
Okay, and this is what was interesting to me in responding to that article and thinking of how can there be benefits of complaining and without having to feel guilt about it, and it made me realise it relates to a number of principles in positive psychology, especially related to self-compassion. But let's think of some of the positive purposes that can come from acknowledging painful feelings generally. Now, if we've got something that we've got a gripe about or feel really concerned about or aggrieved about, that in itself can have a meaningful purpose. Our painful emotions can let us know that something's important to us. It can let us know that our interests have been compromised in some way or maybe our values have been offended in some kind of way. So painful feelings, just like positive feelings, can have a meaningful purpose behind them. And often in psychology, including in positive psychology, we highlight ways of experiencing joy and hope and gratitude, but also we look at forgiveness and compassion as being positive kind of emotions. And how compassion comes up in relation to complaining is self-compassion has three components that can overlap with expressing some grievance or complaint to an understanding friend. The first thing is acknowledging that I have some kind of painful feelings or I'm finding something difficult in some way. Well, if we describe something that we're bothered about or struggling with to a friend, then we're acknowledging some kind of difficulty or painful feeling that makes a difference to us. A second aspect of self-compassion is recognising that we're not alone in having our feelings, that actually it's because we're human, it's part of the human condition that certain things might bother us. It's not just us that we might feel that way. So if we can express ourselves to an understanding and empathic friend and they can maybe reflect back a little bit about what they've got from what we said, that they understand us, dare I say that their response is a little bit validating or affirming, then that helps us realise we're not alone with challenges or difficulties and we can feel heard in a way that elicits a kind of social support that's a very effective and helpful kind of social support. And many of us would have relied on that in many ways with our co-workers, with our family members, with our friends, including through the challenges of COVID. At times we would have said things that let off steam, and but others would have said how they felt like that as well or similarly, or they've had other challenges and we listen and support each other. That's a kind of self-soothing thing or, or soothing of someone else as well. And that helps with serotonin, that calming kind of response. So if we express some kind of concern or difficulty, we express our painful emotions in that way, we're acknowledging how we feel, we recognise how others might feel similarly or we have that reflected back to us, and then we experience the benefit of letting off steam a bit because our emotions have flowed through us and the other person has responded with empathy, so we've received some social support that's got all the ingredients of compassion to it. And so part of what self-compassion is, is acknowledging some grievance or concern or difficulty to ourselves and going through that process with ourselves. But hey, how much more powerful at times will that be to get that affirmation from another? Absolutely. And it was interesting while you were describing that there, Dad. Like I, I've got a friend actually, one of my one of my really good friends from uni really came to mind because to me he's just someone who's almost a, a savant of acceptance in a way. And he has this way of, of kind of complaining about things in a way that's almost a little bit more informing. 
than kind of just, you know, complaining in almost a literal word in a sense. And, you know, it's not as if he you know, bottles stuff up and it's not as if he doesn't tell you sort of things in a way, but it's almost in a way to, yeah, for example, inform you. And then you're almost left with this kind of notion. You often even say it at times at the end of, you know, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. And it's not in necessarily a dismissive way at all in terms of, oh, well, well, let's, you know, not feel that we have any control over the situation. It's just very much more of a, oh, well, well, you know, like that's kind of what we've got and, you know, basically what we have to kind of deal with and now we can kind of move on and start thinking about almost the problem-solving side of things. And what I suppose really came to mind, and as you were describing that there and even thinking about my friend, is that there seems to be an element of complaining in a positive way, which is about accessing more resources. It's not necessarily just about acknowledging something for the sake of something, but it's then being able to look at, well, what can we do next? And like I find it, like you'd know more about this than me, Dad. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. But I believe the part of the brain for processing heard information in terms of like actual out loud information that we hear through our ears is actually different to information that we process with our thoughts that isn't necessarily heard out loud. And quite often, like I oh, personally find, and I'm sure, you know, my friend, I'm sure he would find the same just by the way that he goes this that just through the act of saying something out loud and almost processing it in an auditory sense, like hearing it out loud in a in a different context to what you do within your own head, that can almost like develop your thoughts on it a little bit. That can change your feeling about it a little bit and it can take some of the heat out of it and I suppose just almost recontextualize things to allow us to be able to move on a little bit so like what are your thoughts there on I suppose the link between even just hearing something out loud for the very first time and being able to move on okay well it seems like there's several positive things that your friend is doing in that situation so I'll just mention each of those because it's such a helpful model for how he might go about expressing some kind of grievance concern complaint distress one is your friend showed a real acceptance, an acceptance of, say, his own emotion, as well as an acceptance of the wider world and how things are. Now, one very good thing about accepting our own emotions is if we block them out or suppress them or deny them, so if we feel angry or frustrated or distressed and we pretend to ourselves that we're not, like we're really trying to block it or suppress it, those feelings tend to have an even more intense impact on us. So emotions, it's like the word motion, moving. Emotions are meant to, in a sense, move through us in some way. So to be able to acknowledge and express, but especially in an accepting way, both of our feelings and also the wider world, how it is, that starts off being a very helpful approach. And also I think you describe this openness in your friend, your openness about maybe seeing something in a different way. And there's also something about expressing things. As you say in words, once you define or describe the situation that you're having difficulty with, it kind of contains it. It reminds me a little bit of when, say, children have been through a trauma experience and they're asked to paint the trauma, say, a bushfire on a page. So they do a painting. But when they do the painting, it kind of contains the imagery of the bushfire in the four sides of the page, it kind of, rather than being this ever-growing, expanding, ongoing, forever kind of thing, it kind of contains it in a bit of time. So the way you described your friend going about it, it's kind of accepting a certain kind of feeling, being open to maybe different ways of looking at it, 
but also defining the problem in a way that contains it, they're actually some of the elements that are relevant in a psychotherapy process. When people come for therapy, it really helps if they can identify what they're struggling with in some way, put it in some kind of words which is containing, and then have an ongoing conversation or reflection that has an openness and ultimately an acceptance to it. So that's very different from just going over and over again the same kind of words or thoughts like a rant. A rant's not going to help anyone, just keep you on ranting. But what you described of your friend, that modelled these other qualities. Well, what that makes me wonder then is it seems to me there's an element to that which it's engaging that rational part of our brain. Like, for example, if we're ranting, it's likely that we are in a little bit more of that fight or flight system. We're not necessarily using our, say, like, for example, frontal lobes or rational part of the brain so much. But then what I wonder is like, so to almost extend that principle the whole way, like using that rational part of the brain, like using today as an example, Dad, like this news that's come out of America with this school shooting, you know, in the context of that, the rational part of, you know, my brain could say all of my problems on some level are just so trivial and are just so small compared to what these people are going through at the moment and you know it's public it's you know it's on the news like we're exposed to this sort of stuff it's not as if you know we're completely away from it and isolated and it's not part of our life like we are in some ways in that context and obviously there's so much going on you know with what's going on in the Ukraine at the moment like it seems to me that there could be a real natural guilt that comes up if we do look to engage even in a positive expression of negative emotions in a way like in the context of so many other things you know potentially there could be a bit of a sentiment that well hold on like look at all the people who are going through so much without having to basically express what they're going through at the time so how do we navigate that potentially difficult balance potentially when you know like there is so much going on at the moment and potentially so much more than say in previous times as well Yes, well, it's partly keeping it in perspective, isn't it? Like if I expressed a minor complaint about something that happened, maybe I didn't get a car park close to where I wanted to, and if I kept on going on and on about it, well, in terms of what's happening in the wider world or other people's difficult circumstances, that would just come across as a bit self-absorbed and being precious and unnecessarily fussy and fair enough, like if people go on about minor matters when something very bad has just happened and show no recognition of the wider situation, that's going to be off-putting to other people naturally. But by the same token, whatever's happening in the wider world and however challenging circumstances might be for other people, if we've got it in some kind of perspective and we're just acknowledging some kind of feeling or reaction or frustration, that's quite legitimate. Now, of course, it helps if we show compassion to other people in other ways, like we show a recognition of difficult circumstances that people are going through. If we show compassion to others in our lives, including listening to our friends, offering a listening ear when they're going through some kind of struggle, that's what adds to the balance. Whereas if we felt that maybe a friend never listened to us, but was always looking to a listening ear from us, you get a sense of things being a bit out of balance. And I think that is that other aspect of complaining, if you like, within balance or the other aspect of expressing some kind of uncomfortable feelings. It is being a little bit attentive to the other person that you're expressing yourself to. Are you picking the time and place where that seems fitting? 
Are you perhaps going on a little bit much about something which maybe isn't so important and might be, in a way, weighing down the other person a bit? Because if you talk for, say, an hour about something that you're really concerned about but the other person can't do much about and you've maybe brought this up several times before and it's the same kind of conversation again and again and again, then, yes, maybe that is a bit wearing to the other person so we can... Just be mindful of that kind of impact. But there'll be a lot of situations where we can express some gripe to a friend and then to us, even if there were things that are happening, we can still sometimes have a degree of humour. We might even approach it with a degree of lightness. But I think one of the main things is we've got some kind of openness in our thinking. Because if we're a little bit open, we might be a bit receptive to our friend listening to us or someone else listening to us, a confidant, we might be receptive to them helping us take a little bit of a different perspective, preferably after they've empathised a bit. But by the same token, if we approach things with a degree of openness and might receive a degree of feedback, that can actually help things move or shift a bit. And that's got a better feeling about it in the long run. Just like if we listen to a friend and we can really hear them out and be empathic and be supportive but we might have a slightly different slant on it or mention something that our friend mightn't have considered not because we're trying to set them straight but we're trying to maybe put some other perspective that might be helpful to our friend to look at it that way so there's a big difference expressing painful feelings if there's a degree of openness and conversation on each side rather than just like a rant or a mechanical way of saying something over and over, which is basically another form of rumination. We know that ruminating on things, just going over and over worries, just doesn't help. Well, certainly. And it seems to me that there's an element to which an act of complaining in terms of like that, like as we've spoken about, there's so many good things that come from that. But there is an element in which you're sharing the load with someone in a way. And so, you know, if someone's not automatically feeling some of that load like there is an element to which you are putting some of that on them and you know like within a friendship some of that is good like you want to be there for your friends in situations where they could benefit from your support so you want a little bit of that but I think it is good to be mindful of that fact that you know there could be times where you think well, actually, you know, I've, I've shared a fair bit of load recently and, and maybe haven't done much lifting for my friends. It's just, I think, a good little way of contextualising potentially the effort that someone could put in, in in listening to you in that situation. Yes, and I think just being attuned to that and being aware of that or at least being open to noticing that, I think that can help. Hey, every now and then maybe we can check in with a friend. Hey, is it okay if I let you know about this and... Because I don't want to be going on too long or weighing you down with it kind of thing. And that gives the other person a chance to say something. And even if they say, oh, oh, no, that's fine, but you might pick up a little bit of hesitation, there might be some non-verbal cues that we pick up that way. But look, it's partly about picking our mark, isn't it? We're going to tend to have an idea who our closer friends are or who might be a confidant or otherwise something which is just such a light gripe if you like, such a minor whinge, it's fine to even express that to a mere acquaintance or someone that we've recently met if it's just a very minor issue. Part of it is allowing for the fact that there can be uncomfortable or painful emotions. That's part of life and going about it in certain kind of ways can be, if you like, more constructive rather than less constructive and that's partly to do with us being prepared and ultimately looking to put things in perspective. And I think it's interesting as well, like, 
I don't know, mate. <laughs> Feel free to give me some feedback on this, Dad, because this just could be unhealthy. <laughs> but uh, I think there could potentially even be some benefit in you know recognizing that there is a lot going on at the moment. Like it's one thing to you know simply just ruminate and you know, for example, expose yourself to the negative news all the time, and you know potentially be watching some analysis and all this sort of stuff. Like you can go a long way with it, but at the same time, I think having an awareness of of certain things that are going on around the world at the moment that would just be so tough to deal with and just are so much, you know, objectively more difficult to deal with than what we're going in. Like, it can just help to appreciate so many of the things that we've got in a situation which might otherwise seem quite negative as well. Like, there's no real situation in the world that can't be made worse, Dad. And I think even maybe engaging in the thought exercise of, well, hold on, how could this actually be worse... Well, actually, I think it can lead you to think, well, hold on, there are a couple of things here which maybe lead the situation to be more than just a completely negative situation. I think that's a really good point. Often people feel so much better if they can end up, after acknowledging something that's been difficult, is thinking how it can be so much worse or how many other people are in a much worse situation. Yes, that's a great way of putting in perspective, as is having a laugh. I remember one of the early psychologists I worked with was a great support to me, and I think vice versa. We used to sometimes face some pretty challenging situations, and we'd drop into each other's room as a confidant and talk about these challenging situations we dealt with, and we'd be a real support to each other. We'd be able to say fairly fully what we'd struggled with, and in the end, we always ended up with this expression, ah, you've got to laugh, often if we had made something light of it. And it just was a way that we had of giving each other permission to bring up anything but we also kept in mind we wanted to be within a certain kind of perspective and I was just thinking another practical way of looking at that for perspective is there's a general principle in psychology that in terms of our well-being we're going to tend to be more fully well if we have around about three positive thoughts or expressions to one negative thought and actually in a relationship especially if we're making any comment relating to our partner, you look for five positives to one negative. Now, that's a pretty full-on ratio, five to one. That's a lot of positives. But by the same token, even then, it allows for some kind of negative. It allows for some kind of concern or even a bit of a gripe or, look, I noticed that you didn't do such and such that you said that you'd do. I'm just letting you know kind of thing. There are ways that we can acknowledge that and that's fine, but let's put it in perspective. We do want the broader positives. So we can think about conversations that we have with friends that we also confide in. Do we tend to talk about the good things that are happening? Do we draw from them the good things that are happening in their life? Do we have a bit of a laugh? Do we talk about things where we're looking to take a hopeful approach to things? Because that will make a difference. Someone once tried to describe that in terms of almost like an absolute mathematical ratio, the three to one, and that research doesn't quite stack up. But the principle's pretty good. As a loose guideline, looking to nudge ourselves more towards the positive thoughts and perspectives than the negative, around about that three to one mark, that's not a bad little guideline to have in the back of our mind. What I wonder about that then, Dad, is like how do we find the balance then between, for example, complaining too much and bottling things up? Like one to three, like, yeah, that's a pretty good guide. But it strikes me that, like, for example, you could get to, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon and you think, oh, goodness, I, I reckon I've had 
eight negative complaints today and oh how many positive things I had is it enough at three it's not as if we'd be so calibrated into the you know negativity of our tone that we'd have a real tangible kind of knowledge of exactly what that balance would be at all times so like I wonder how do we know when like we are complaining a little bit too much Okay, and look, actually, thinking about it, that's really about the three positive thoughts to one negative thought ratio rather than, say, saying three positive things to one negative. But there's a bit of overlap to keep that ratio in mind. It's about three to one. It helps to be nudging towards the positive. But, okay, how do we tell? I think if there's a stuckness, if we notice a stuckness in ourselves, so some thoughts are going over and over again. So it is like a cycle or it is like ruminating in a certain way, which is the equivalent of worry. Then we could look at expressing a complaint or grievance or gripe, letting a friend know about something we're bothered about. Then that could be like a kind of worry if it's just going over and over again like a loop. So if we've heard ourselves saying the same kind of things again, or we recognise it's the same kind of conversation, watch out for the stuckness. Also, if we are a bit in that fight and flight mode, if we're tense, if the way we're expressing it shows a degree of like urgency and concern, and that's not settling so much, even when we're talking to a friend, even when we're being listened to, then that might be a sign that we're getting a little bit stuck with it as well. So it's partly, well... The proof is in the pudding, so to speak, is partly how we feel afterwards. And maybe even the interaction we both have, maybe how our friend might feel afterwards as well. Because if we listen to someone else and support them and it's constructive, we'll often feel you know, okay after that as well, as our friend will. We'll both, in a way, feel better. There's that compassion and empathy that's been expressed, that support. We'll both feel okay. But if you end up both feeling weighed down or stuck with it, or just feeling more helpless, that's maybe a sign that it hasn't been so helpful. And then maybe it's worth doing something a bit different to break out of that cycle, if you like, rather than just sit with it and leave it with this uncomfortable, unresolved feeling, especially if that's happening again and again and again. Well, what can people do when they're stuck in a situation, Dad? Because it strikes me that that could be quite a common thing. Like, I'm sure it would have happened to my friends at times when I've had conversations with them and I can think of maybe one or two times where you just feel that you're talking to someone and you feel that they are a little bit stuck. It's almost like, look, we're coming back to this situation. Like, what can we do about it now? Like, what can we do to, I suppose, get out of that situation where we are just ruminating and we are just stuck with something? Okay, the main thing is some kind of shift, isn't it? So if we're getting stuck with negativity or feeling a bit weighed down, some kind of shift. Now, if we pick up ourselves that maybe we've been, if we feel it's like bugging on for a while and maybe, oh, I didn't realise how much time has passed or I noticed that maybe my uh, friend is looking to shift a bit in the seat and maybe look to get away or something like that. If it dawns on us that maybe we're getting a bit stuck with it, good on you, that's awareness. Great, that really helps with awareness, but it helps for some kind of shift, which the simplest thing is a little bit of a shift in conversation to then move on to something else. Or it might be just a statement acknowledging, well, look, thanks heaps for being able to bring that up with you. Look, it's great to be able to let off a bit of steam about it kind of thing. So look, really appreciate that. But anyway, I won't bung on about it anymore. How's such and such going? Or something like that. Some kind of shift, maybe showing interest in the other person could help all the rest of it. But another thing is basically changing what we do. 
So if it's not in the conversation itself, it's letting the conversation wind up in some way. It really helps if we can wind up with a little bit of light humour or a different perspective on something. Ask the other person something they're doing that afternoon or in the next week or show a bit of interest in them or slightly different topic or a bit of humour about something can always help. Almost ending up with you've got to laugh or otherwise just some kind of neutral topic to wind up. But if we're really getting stuck and weighed down, or if we feel weighed down after a conversation like that, a couple of things can make a real difference. First of all, some kind of activity to get our attention outside rather than inside. So we might have been in our head a bit or had the feelings go through. How do we help disrupt those feelings, get onto something else? Get your attention outside yourself with some kind of physical activity is best some kind of task that you're doing, run an errand, do some of the tasks that you're going to, tidy something up, especially some kind of little minor positive action might help, but that's both a distraction and some kind of physical exercise. And the other thing I would say too, it really helps to follow up with gratitude. Part of that is recognising that it could be worse or other people are worse off but we can help ourselves generally by also incorporating that gratitude exercise in our lives generally, whether it be every day or once a week, but in our own way reminding ourselves what are three good things that happened today. Or if we notice that we've been stuck or worried about something, maybe that day or that evening, finish up the day thinking of three good things that happened that day because then we're reminding ourselves that there are good things that happen in the world and the things that we can influence in some way. So it might be as a wonderful sunrise or I really enjoyed that movie or I really appreciate my friend listening to me. It can also be something positive we've done. I like the way that task worked or I like the way I helped that person or I did something that turned out worthwhile so we feel a bit effective. When we remind ourselves of those positive things, it helps put any of our gripes in context. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind about that, Dad. And, you know, the first of all is, you know, having that, I suppose, line in terms of like, all you can do is laugh or, you know, if my mate, it's, ah, well, it is what it is. It seems to me that if you can have that little almost like device or tool that kind of signals a change of energy, then it's almost like that you can contain the conversation sort of within that. And it's like you can get to that point where it's almost like I don't necessarily know if we can progress things further from here then if you say that, it almost puts a little nice, neat, full stop on the end of the conversation. Like, you know, all you can do is laugh. Well, it's like, well, actually, we've been having, you know, a conversation about some quite serious things. I could think of plenty of things I could do at the moment. I could cry all this sort of stuff. But it signals that it's like, well, actually, we're, we're not going with that energy anymore. It's you know, all you can do is laugh. Ha <laughs> ha, you know, oh, all you can do is laugh. Let's sort of move on. What are you having for lunch? All this sort of stuff. But the other thing I, that you mentioned that I really liked was that you spoke about, for example, doing something like doing physical exercise. And like it reminded me of a little exercise that I did actually. I remember one time when I was just feeling so depressed after, you know, my best mate had passed away. And I was actually came home from university, Dad. And as you'd remember, we were talking about some things to do with behavioral activation sort of stuff. It was, you know, just go outside. Like your one task for today is to go for a walk by the river with the dog. I remember that was my task for the day. And I was out on this walk and I was listening to music and I remember having this thought that, you know, as I'm walking along here, I was just ruminating and ruminating. I thought, you know what, I want to leave this negative thought on this side of the footpath here. And I'd keep walking and, oh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that thought on the side of the footpath here. 
And then as I'd walk on, you know, that thought, of course, it had come back to me, but I'd go, you know what, I left that back on the path back there. That's, that's not with me anymore. And I remember uh, like sort of crossing a bridge and walking over the other side of the river and, and walking past where I'd been, but I was over the other side of the river and I remember just thinking, oh, all my negative thoughts are over there. Like it was just this, you know, almost infantile kind of exercise of imagination, Dan, of sort of almost discarding my negative thoughts as I went along. But it was the very act of, I suppose, being moving and being able to kind of change my environment and being able to go, well, hold on, it's not as if I'm staring at, you know, the same wall, the same, you know, picture, whatever you're looking at, like, as we spoke about with David Cherry a couple of weeks ago, your environment can really influence your thoughts like that. So I suppose doing the physical act of of moving away from somewhere and almost declaring to myself, well, hold on, this, you know, you're not there anymore. To me, it was almost a way that I kind of tricked myself in a way to not necessarily just be stuck with those thoughts. Yes, and that's a way of being open to a different way of looking at things, which overlaps with hypnosis. And so there is a lot about complaints or complaining or grievances or feeling bad and expressing that that does overlap with worries or how we deal with worry. And one way of dealing with worry, a hypnosis technique, is imagining the worrying thought, putting it on a leaf and letting the leaf drift down a stream. Or it could be imagining a balloon a helium balloon tied to our wrist with negative thoughts in it, if you like, or things that we're bothered about, and then cutting the string or undoing the string and then letting the balloon go up into the air and away. So taking a distance from our thoughts and imagery. So what you described there involves some of that distancing kind of thing. And as we talk about this, that's what can help with expressing some kind of worries or concerns or gripe to a friend It can be a kind of distancing technique, if you like, so long as we're open to getting it out there, as you say, hearing you say it out loud, can objectify it a little bit, can contain the thought because you've described what it is, and especially when we feel heard, we feel understood, hey, we're part of the human race, we draw on that social support, that's going to help, especially if we're open to moving on, and that doesn't mean glossing over painful feelings, so when I said about Having a laugh, that's often about more minor things. We're not going to look to end up a very painful conversation or something we're feeling a lot of grief about, expecting ourselves to laugh at the end of that. But a lot of things are more minor and we can have a laugh or acceptance or say that's the way it is or it is what it is. That's really helpful, that accepting side of things. But I think it's recognising, it's having a positive purpose with the complaining, whether we're expressing ourselves or listening, that it's looking to bring a degree of acceptance and comfort and letting ourselves be a little bit open to a different way of looking at it. Well, certainly, Dad. And I think that highlights another point that I've really taken out of today as well is that, you know, when you are in a situation where someone's coming to you with, you know, complaint, it really is a powerful thing to offer a genuine listening ear in that situation. But it also suggests that there's a bit of a, I suppose, active role that we can play as someone supporting that person, maybe in guiding them towards not necessarily just kind of ruminating about it or guiding them towards recognising maybe a couple of the positive things about complaining, but also recognising that if we simply complain and we're not looking to 
know, do something about it or we're not looking to change something in a certain way, well, then that's maybe not necessarily going to be the best thing for us either. So I think we, we certainly have a, a role to play there as a supportive friend or obviously family member as well, Dad. Yes, and then it overlaps with something very worthwhile about therapy. And it reminds me as we're talking about this, how often clients might say in a therapy situation, oh, but you'll be sick of hearing this or you would have heard it so many times before or this must sound so trivial compared to other people's problems that you might see. But I just might say it virtually never sounds that way. Certainly to me, things people bring up, it's meaningful to them in some way. If people feel pain or concern or distress, it's meaningful. And as a therapist, you feel that people are using your time well and a session well or your conversation well if they're acknowledging things that they feel that make a difference to them. It doesn't sound trivial, but it's the process of acknowledging feelings, including painful feelings, and looking to process them. When that's happening, there's a flow of conversation, there's an acceptance around it. It's like the thoughts and feelings that might not have been so processed, and that's why the person's bringing them up. They end up a little bit more digested. It's almost like the experience of the feelings being more digested and the person feels a little bit more settled afterwards, even if nothing is fixed or changed. And that's one thing to acknowledge, that sometimes listening to someone who's expressing concerns or distress, sometimes it's just listening, not having to fix anything and sometimes not able to fix anything. But even then, we can be open to a slightly different way of looking at it, which might be an even more full acceptance sometimes. It is what it is. It might be difficult, but probably not completely terrible. Could be worse. And hey, I can manage that. So this kind of conversation can help you feel, yeah, I can deal with that. Well, it really speaks to the notion, Dad, of that idea of, you know, there's strength in vulnerability. And I suppose that process of seeing someone almost come to terms in many ways with exactly what their negative feelings are, like that's in many ways them gaining strength through recognising their vulnerability and, and accepting that in a way. So it seems to me that overall, like that would be in, in many ways an empowering process. Yes, and again, we get back to self-compassion then, don't we? Being open to how we're feeling, recognising it's part of the human condition, that feeling of vulnerability, and being able to acknowledge that and express that. And for someone to hear us out, often a good friend, a family member, a confidant, well, how valuable are those relationships for letting us be ourselves and sometimes having a struggle and be able to acknowledge it and feel accepted. That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful experience. Absolutely it is, Dad. And well, look, we're, we're pretty much finished up here today, Dad. But I, I did want to tell you about one little thing that I found this week in regards to this topic, because I find it absolutely fascinating. And it's uh, maybe dipping my toe into the philosophical pool yet again. I do enjoy doing that, Dad. I'm not surprised. You usually find <laughs> things with a bit of a twist. I don't know where you come up with them from, but yeah, okay, I'm interested to hear. Oh, I've been down a bit of a rabbit hole this week, Dad, I'll tell you what. But anyway, I came across this concept from a Dutch rationalist thinker. His name was Burak Spinoza. And so I believe he coined this term in 1674. So he was a proper enlightenment thinker way back in the day. And he had this term, omnis determinatio est negatio. So I believe it means every determination gives rise to a contradiction. So 
It's actually, it was a fascinating context that I first heard about this in, Dad. It was actually talking about the constitution of the Soviet Union, Dad. And so, a little little history lesson here. So, apparently over the course of the Soviet Union, they had a couple of different constitutions. And obviously when the Soviet Union first came together after the Russian Revolution, the Communist Party had such a central role within, you know, the Soviet Union, what was to come. And it had such power at that time that they didn't even think about putting it in the Constitution. They didn't even mention the idea of the Communist Party. But basically, over time, you know, things like Lenin died, Stalin died, like the power of the Communist Party diminished a little bit over time. And so in 1977, you know, basically nearly or over 60 years after the start of the Soviet Union, they changed their constitution and they felt that they had to include within that an article which spoke about the power of the Communist Party. It was almost like, you know, that what had previously been unsaid, everyone recognised, everyone accepted. But over time, you know, they went a little bit away from that to the point where they had to put it within their constitution in order for everyone to follow it in the same way. But what that did was it meant that people who maybe opposed the Soviet Union in, in its current form, like the, the opponents of the people in power in that situation, they then had like a clear target or a clear enemy. It went from being this, you know, unspoken almost idea that kind of everyone had, but we didn't need to write down because it was so ubiquitous that everyone knew what it was, to all of a sudden it's like, well, actually, no, it's, it's these three sentences in our constitution. Like the very act of determining kind of the issue in itself meant that, yeah, for people who opposed communism, it was, yeah, they had that very clearly defined thing to fight against. And I believe 12 years later, the, the Soviet Union was no more because they were able to abolish that actual article, which in effect ended the Soviet Union. But what that leads me to think about complaints, to draw it back to what we're talking about today, like in some ways, like if we can look at complaining almost as this act of determination, in terms of like, if we use complaining as a almost like a tool to define exactly what our problem is at that time, well, that kind of puts a nice little neat box around it and we can kind of look at that and go, okay, well, well, that's what I'm up against here. You know, it's not this ambiguous, unspeakable kind of negative, you know, emotion that I'm dealing with. It's, you know, these few specific things that I actually can put a few certain things in place. So, Dad, that was something that I came across which I found it, you know, Fascinating in the historical context, there's a, you know, you could spend a university thesis looking into some of this sort of stuff, but I think that notion of, you know, looking at, I suppose, complaining as looking at a way to almost define and contain something that we can then kind of, I suppose, negate or oppose, well, that to me seems a little bit different than just, you know, complaining for the sake of complaining or, I suppose, maybe complaining with that incessant notion that we often hear it paired with. Yes, a really interesting idea, and I get how it can take out some of the power and mystique by naming the problem, so to speak, or dare I say it becomes more the devil you know if it's something that you're opposed to, to be able to be more consciously aware and spelling out what it is. So I think there is that aspect of complaining or expressing a grievance or some kind of distress it can help us formulate things in our own mind being able to put things in words as you say can help contain it and there might be times when we might not have it neatly worked out or it might not be such a problem solving thing part of what we're talking about especially with minor gripes is sometimes it's fair enough just to express it 
And that's okay. But if someone else acknowledge it, hear it, and accept us, we still feel part of the human race. We put in a little bit of different perspective. Hey, that helps. Certainly, and I suppose that's where maybe even writing something down could be of benefit, Dad. You don't even necessarily need to talk to someone else about it because that very act of writing something down, again, it's that similar thing, you know, like the bushfire drawing. It's within, you know, a page. We can close the book and put it over there. There there can be symbolism involved in that too. So I suppose, yeah, what I take from today is that, you know, in many ways the, the general principle is not to stop complaining. That's you know, not something that's practical and not something that's going to be beneficial to us. But it seems to me that there's an element to which if we can look to complain in a way that maybe defines the problem, contains the problem, and then we can start to maybe shift the focus a little bit to, well, you know, what resources do I have to tackle this in this situation? You know, who can I talk about it with that might just have that, you know, even if it's a little comment that, you know, is going to make me feel slightly differently or or even just the very act of, of speaking about it out loud. Like there are things that we can do in a situation that's potentially going to change, I suppose, the intensity of the negativity that we feel around it. Yes, a whole lot. Acknowledging, accepting our feelings, good and bad, stepping back from them and being able to take some distance from them. It helps put things in perspective. And hey, writing a diary can help journaling, some kind of autobiographical writing, there's strategies that can help us express that. But hey, if we can do that with another human being, sometimes we can really feel held or supported or just validated or accepted in a particular way. And that's what we're highlighting here. A benefit of having confidence and being able to show our appreciation when people have listened to us, that can be something that helps them realise how helpful they've been. Well, certainly, Dad, and oh, thank you for, for chatting with me about all this today. It's, uh, oh, it's been a, a good one. It, as I said at the start, it's been good to do a bit more of a deep dive into some deeper topics over the last couple of weeks, but then there's a lot that we can take out on a practical level about today and you know, even just maybe a few little checks that we can ask ourselves about the way that we complain can yeah, basically help us complain in a way that's going to be most beneficial to both us and also those around us as well. I look forward to our next topic, Rowan. I'm not sure what it is. We'll have to see what it is.